0: This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now 800 Yes Word. 800 Yes Word. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone.
1: Are we going to stand with God? Come what may.
0: If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Well, one of the most painful and yet most common emotions any of us will ever experience in life is grief. Now, we're reminded in 1 Thessalonians, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. But can you grieve and hope at the same time? Well, of course you can, and we can see why that's true as we look at Lamentations chapter three, for example, which says, though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. We're going to tackle this subject of grief today with Colin Smith, senior pastor of the Orchard Evangelical Free Church in the Chicago area. He is also president of Unlocking the Bible. And today we'll be talking about navigating the valley of sorrow and loss as we discuss his book For All Who Grieve. Colin, welcome. It's great to have you with us again. How are you?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks, Janet. Uh, Thanks for having me on the program.
0: Always good to talk to you. I know this is a very difficult subject, and I think it's very interesting what led you to write this book. It involved a number of families in your church. Can you tell us a little bit about what precipitated this book and this series of sermons that you preached on Lamentations?
2: Yes, there was a a couple, uh, Greg and Pam, who went through uh, the very tragic uh, loss of their son in a terrible accident. And uh, as their pastor, I had the privilege of walking with them through these early days and the funeral and so forth. And and after that, I, I said to them, you know, would you be interested in in meeting with some other folks who've also gone through the loss of a child? And they jumped at that. They were very interested. And so I phoned a number of other folks in our congregation who had gone through um, this experience. And the following week, um, we all gathered in our home here. And uh, for the weeks that followed, um, uh, uh, each of the folks uh, in the group shared their story. It was a remarkable experience, Janet, to, to see the connections. Oh, you felt that. Oh, you asked that question. So did I and so forth. And then we got out the Book of Lamentations and over these subsequent weeks uh, drew out um, the themes of this remarkable book, and found that they spoke directly to what um, uh, the members of the group were experiencing. So the book really invites people to come into a remarkable experience that we shared over a number of weeks as we found how the Word of God speaks to this most painful reality of life.
0: Yes, well, you call lamentations God's gift for those who grieve, which I think is a very good description. Why do you say so? Because obviously, when you are grieving, you might go to the Psalms, you might go to Ecclesiastes, You might go to Job. Why Lamentations? What is it about that book that stands out when it comes to the subject of grief?
2: Well, it was written out of the devastation of people who um, were living in Jerusalem at the time when the city collapsed. And so they had gone through the most extraordinary trauma. The city had been under siege, and so the um, people had been starving. And of course, when that happens, the youngest die first. And uh, eventually the uh, city collapsed and then the strongest and most able people were taken away. So many of those who remained were, were trying to scratch uh, a living out of the ashes of this ruin, having lost younger children, um, uh, having said goodbye to older sons and daughters who they would likely never see again. I mean, some of these folks had experienced devastating things, violence. Um, Some of Lamentations is really hard to read, but this is a book that comes out of the most extraordinary grief, and it's in the Bible for a reason, and that is that that we know what grief and sorrow and loss are in our lives, too.
0: Yeah, we sure do. You talk about a couple, Lyle and Sue, right at the outset of the book, and what Lamentations has to say in relation to their tears. And you have a chapter talking about tears. Can you really extrapolate on that a little bit about the importance of tears and what the Bible says about the process of grieving by shedding tears and weeping?
2: Yeah, well, Lamentations is pool of tears. And when we began to draw out that um, theme, um, there was just fascinating discussion uh, among um, the folks who were in the group. Um, uh, A couple of folks said, you know, at first I just couldn't cry. And then when I started, I couldn't stop. Um, What we found too uh, was, um, and particularly when I began speaking on Lamentations later to our congregation, I had letters from people saying, You know, it's so helpful to know that it's okay for Christians to cry. One woman wrote to me and said, you know, I've had two miscarriages and I I always felt that I had to hold myself together. That was the phrase she used. And, (laughs) And just the fact that Jesus wept and that there's a book of the Bible that is stained in tears on every page has been very, very helpful to folks in our group and to others who've been considering how the book of Lamentations speaks to us. Um, You know, tears are the the, the shuddering of the body at the pain of the soul. And they're God's gift because they're a way of getting some of that pain out. And so uh, Lamentations encourages us not to hold them back.
0: Well, it's interesting, Colin, because when you mentioned that somebody had said, am I allowed to cry or should I shed tears? Is that wrong? Why would we ever believe that it would be wrong to cry, that seems like such a basic thing. When you're grieving, of course you would cry. Is it kind of the idea in some people's minds that I'm not really trusting God if I fall apart and I just need to be stoic about it?
2: Yeah, it might be. It might be. It might also be that I think, you know, the verse, the wonderful verse that you quoted, Janet, at the top of the program uh, from Thessalonians about how Christians don't grieve like those who have no hope. I think sometimes Christians misunderstand that as if it meant Christians don't grieve. Right. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that when we grieve, as we certainly do, We are in a different position from those who have no hope. Those who have no hope, those who do not believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a bereavement is the end of a relationship as far as they're concerned. They have no future hope. We do have future hope, but we still grieve. And and, and that's important to say that um, we grieve while we hope and we hope while we grieve. But these two realities we experience together as Christian believers.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Something else you mentioned is the importance of talking about your grief. And and mm. this is interesting to me because people can be so different, not just male and female. For example, men may try to be a little bit more tough and women might fall apart a little bit more, but it, wanting to discuss it more. But people do grieve differently. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are as a pastor on the importance of talking through your grief and being able to just get it out that way, not, you know, Know, with tears, perhaps, or maybe without tears, but just being able to talk about the person you've lost.
2: Yes, um, I think that's really important. And one of the couples um, uh, in our group, whose story is told uh, in in the book, Wayne and Joyce, their little daughter, uh, Jill, uh, died in a tragic accident many, many years ago. She was just two years old, and uh, Wayne and Joyce are now in their retirement years but they had very rarely spoken about what happened to their daughter in all of these years. And when they came to this group, they felt that they had a safe place where they could tell their story. And Joyce said to me afterwards, she said, you know, I shook for an hour after I told uh, my story. Mm -hmm. She said, but it was a freeing and a cleansing experience for me. That's a remarkable phrase. She Uh, Something very profoundly helpful came to her by being able to express in a way that she hadn't uh, done before to others uh, what had been a very significant part of her and of her husband's life. And, uh, you know, the scripture says that we are to weep with those who weep. So it's never the purpose of God for any of his children to grieve alone.
0: Well, that's right. It's sad to me that she would say, you know, that she never talked about it or or the yeah. husband didn't talk about it. Was it they just didn't want to burden other people with their grief?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure that I can give the full answer to that. Maybe they couldn't either. Um, one of the things, too, is that I, I think um, uh, it's often an instinct amongst good Christian folks to feel like we don't want to upset people yes. by bringing up something that's painful And one of the things that uh, uh, became very clear to me uh, through the group, uh, Janet, was that it's actually a gift to mention the name of someone who's no longer with us. Yes. It's a gift to the person who grieves because it means they're not the only one who remembers. Exactly. If you have a story or a memory or something that makes you smile, it may make that person cry, but they're already thinking about their loss anyway. Yes. And they'll be grateful that uh, that you brought uh, the name of someone they love yes. uh, up in conversation.
0: For sure. We're gonna come back with Colin Smith for All Who Grieve is his book. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mafford. We're partnering with Bible League International to send God's word to fifteen hundred Bibleist believers in Africa. In many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, Ghana, and Mozambique, as many as nine out of ten Christians are denied God's word because of corrupt governments, majority religions, remoteness, and poverty. They've never been able to read First Peter five, seven. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me, and now it will means so much to these bibleist Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor John in Mozambique.
1: One occasion, I found
2: a pastor that uh, was uh, leading a church of 90 church members and he was having
1: one Bible that was starting from Exodus and ends to the Ephesians. And he was leading the church with that Bible. So, when we went to give them the Bible,
0: imagine joy. They sang, they danced, they cried, and they praised God for the gift of the Bible. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20, $500 sends 100, and your gift of any size will help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800 Yes Word, 800-YESWORD, or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at com. Actually, the, the need is great. If you could remember the other picture of a lady who was trying to show me the Bible, that. Pastor, I understand you work with Bible geek, but we don't have Bibles here. So that, that, that lady had a Bible from Exodus to the book of Hebrews. That's all. You see that. So there is a great need of Bibles. Send God's word to a bible believer in Africa today for only $5. Call 800 Y E S You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. It's great to have you with us and great to be talking with Pastor Colin Smith. He is the senior pastor of the Orchard Evangelical Free Church in the Chicago area, also president of Unlocking the Bible. You can check them out at unlockingthebible.org. And he's written a really, I think, helpful book. Anybody who's ever lost anybody can relate to this book, For All Who Grieve, Navigating the Valley of Sorrow and Loss. You were discussing, Colin, before we went to the break, the importance of being able to talk about the person and to bring up the person, perhaps, to somebody who's grieving. I remember having that experience years ago. My college roommate, her father died between our freshman and sophomore years. And I remember having heard somebody say what a person who just lost someone close to them really wants is to talk, ask them questions, tell me what happened, tell me about your dad, tell me. And I remember how much she just poured her heart out. Do you think we do enough Asking other people about their grief in order to help them with their grief process by talking.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm sure that that's something that uh, usefully happen. Uh, it needs to happen uh, more often. But I would also say this that I, I think you know, for someone who's grieving, you can't have everybody in your circle of trust. Right. What's important is that you need to discern who are people who are able to take this journey with you and will be interested to do that and have the kind of patience, understanding and listening ear. We all know that there are some people who can say foolish and unhelpful things. And so I don't think the grieving people should be wearing their hearts on their sleeve. And I don't think that everybody should always be going to a grieving person and, um, uh, and, and bringing the subject of their loss up. But it is important that there are relationships where there can be honest conversations.
0: That's wisdom, I think, because sure, you don't want to go up to somebody you barely know and try to pry. That's kind of a fine line. What about this aspect that you mentioned in the book about people who sometimes tell you, I don't think I ever grieved properly? Hmm. What would you say it means to grieve properly? I mean, grief is so subjective, but how do you see it as a pastor?
2: Well, you know, the six themes from Lamentations have really been very compelling to me, and I really do think they give an outline uh, of what it means to grieve uh, properly. And they are tears and talk that we've been speaking about uh, over these last uh, moments, and then guilt and grievance, yes. and then hope and healing. I think these are really the, the, the main elements um, of uh, what we experience uh, when we go through um, uh, the valley of, um, uh, of suffering and loss. And that's why uh, we, we've spoken in the subtitle of the book about navigating the valley of the uh, of sorrow and loss. Uh, I, I think these are the elements uh, that are involved in making that journey.
0: Well, that's right. So when we talk about guilt, how would you say that guilt can sometimes complicate grief? What would be an example yeah. of somebody who yeah. feels guilty over a death?
2: You know, it it strikes me, Janet, actually, that uh, wherever there is grief, it always comes with guilt attached. And usually the way it comes out is with uh, the what ifs and the if onlys. Mm. You know, if only I'd done this, if only I'd not done that, or if only I'd gone or not gone there or not said this, not done that, or what if I had done this, that or the other, and perhaps there might have been a different uh, outcome. And, And these things can kind of lie on the conscience And uh, one of the stories that's uh, told uh, in the book, there are five stories that came out of the group that um, uh, met over these weeks in our home. And Leslie and Ken tell their story. Leslie uh, is a nurse and uh, her son uh, died in his teenage years uh, of leukemia. Mm -hmm. And she lived for some years afterwards with a sense of uh, what if and if only, things she thought she might have been able to do that might have made a difference. And in the end, there came a point where she had very specifically to bring that before the Lord and lay it down at his feet. And, uh, you know, Hebrews tells us that the blood of Christ is given for the cleansing of the conscience. (laughs) That's -hmm. a very important statement. Not only the cleansing of our sins, but the cleansing of that which sits on the conscience and weighs heavily on us. And one of the things that was helpful, and I hope will be helpful to others in reading the book... Um, is is the um, uh, is the peace that can come from laying down the what ifs and the if onlys at the feet of the Lord Jesus?
0: Right, and I wonder if, on some level, when people get caught in that trap of feeling guilty if it's a way of trying to deal with grief and somehow show how much they love the person. Oh, I should have done this. It was somehow my fault. I mean, there are so many complicated emotions. I think that accompany grief thoughts that people have when they're alone, that that can really get out of hand if somebody doesn't notice it and come in and say, listen, this isn't your fault. It it was not your fault that your child died.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and I think that's where being part of a a group of people who've gone through a similar experience can be, Um, uh, a very helpful and wonderful thing. Uh, One one of the things that to me is just a a great joy and testimony to God's grace is that the the couple, Greg and Pam, around whom this group that I've been describing met a couple of years ago, they are now leading the grief ministry in our church. Mm. And Janet, I have people come up to me pretty much every Sunday and they'll say, oh, I'm so grateful for this grief group. Here's how it's helped me. And And they will speak about Greg and Pam who are leading it. Out of their experience of loss, there has come a ministry in which they've been able to embrace and comfort other people. And I think that's a remarkable testimony to the grace of God.
0: Absolutely. What about grievance? This is something you mentioned earlier and you talk about it in the book, people who might turn their anger on God while they are grieving and it you know it makes me cringe a little bit how can we possibly look at the potter and be mad at the potter as the clay he he is good and he is gracious and he loves us and you know all of these things but what what do you do with somebody who just in the moment is just mad and and getting that person to see the lord for who he really is in that moment
2: yeah uh, Stace and Cassie were two a couple in our group, and uh, their uh, little boy, uh, Nathaniel, died after uh, 27 uh, days and Cassie said on that first night when we gathered, you know it 's hard to believe that God loves you mm-hmm. when he takes away uh, someone that you love, and we really worked through in our conversations in subsequent uh, weeks that very real question one of the things that i think is very important in lamentations and very important for us is the honest bringing of what has grieved us to god himself Mm -hmm. so i say to people janet don't complain about god behind his back (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. you know he knows what you're thinking he knows what you're feeling and the Bible in the Psalms that you referred to earlier and in Job uh, and uh, in Lamentations give us multiple examples of the value of bringing out honestly uh, what grieves us in the presence of the Lord, putting it into words. It's sometimes, that's sometimes something in which uh, an, another Christian can help, coming alongside you in doing that. But it's really important to do that. And then to put that alongside things that we also know about God. Um, uh, don't doubt in the darkness what God taught you in the light. Amen. And that's really where Kathy and Stace came to a resolution when they said, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that God loves you when he takes away someone you love. The resolution that they came to in the end was, you know, It's hard not to believe that God loves you when you're looking at the cross. And that was a very profound thing for them.
0: Well, it is. Can you put the gospel into context here when it comes to grief? Because, as you mentioned before, a very famous short verse, Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus, even though he knew he would be raising Lazarus from the dead. Hmm. Um, But the Lord felt the same feelings we feel. What about the fellowship of his sufferings and, and yeah. what we experience in our sanctification process and how the Lord is with us as our wonderful counselor, even in our deepest moments of grief?
2: You know, it's a very wonderful thing that Jesus is described as the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In other mm-hmm. words, he, he walks sorrow's path. He's been there. He knows what that is like. And nobody um, listening to this program today would ever choose sorrow's path. No, No one ever chooses to go there. But when you go there, you are in a place where you can meet with Jesus Christ and find that he will walk with you. And I think that that's where Lamentations gives us the greatest hope. It says, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Janet, it strikes me that the biggest question for a person who's grieving is simply, how am I going to get through today? And the answer to that question is, God's mercies will be sufficient to get you through today. And when you get up tomorrow, God's mercies will be new for tomorrow, and they'll be sufficient to get you through tomorrow as well. And that is, you know, Christ, the man of sorrows, is on the path of sorrow. And there you will find him. And he will be faithful to you.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about Great is Thy Faithfulness, which is one of my very favorite hymns. And I was thinking yeah. about that line in that hymn, Strength for Today and bright, bright Hope, hope for, for Tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. That I have found also going back to some of those biblical hymns and going back to the truth that they convey alongside the word of God can be very, very healing as well.
2: Yes, that's Right. And, uh, and also the psalms and personalizing the psalms. Um, uh, uh, someone in uh, the group, it was um, uh, Sue um, uh, in the group, who, who shared how much it had helped her just to put her name in as she read through various psalms and personalize them. And she took them just a line at a time and she found that that was immensely helpful to her.
0: That's wonderful. When you are talking to somebody who's in fresh grief, what is the best thing that you could say to that person in that moment?
2: Well, I think the the, the first thing is to listen uh, to that person uh, in in that moment. Um, uh, so I, you know, I I want to especially in this situation to keep in mind the, the Bible exhortation to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Yeah. Um, but the thing that is first on my mind is what I just uh, read from from Lamentations. You know, the Bible gives us the wonderful hope of heaven, but heaven seems a long way away from the grieving person. The immediate question is, how am I going to get through today? And the answer to that in Scripture is that Jesus, the man of sorrows, will walk with you, and his grace will be sufficient.
0: Wonderful. Well, a great book for all who grieve. Pastor Colin Smith joining us. Thank you so much, Colin. Really enjoyed talking to you again. God bless you.
2: Thank you. And you too.
0: All right. Thank you so much. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back to Janet Mefford Today. In 2 Samuel 22, David sings praises to the Lord for he was delivered out of the hands of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he says, it is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. This is true for all of us. Despite the circumstances of life, the Lord alone is our strength and he is our security. So why is it that so many of us sometimes feel insecure? You might not have considered before that in addition to being a difficult problem to overcome, insecurity is both sinful and sinful. And curable. And that's the good news. And we're going to talk about it today with John Parrott, who is director of resources for Reformed Youth Ministries and author of the book we'll be talking about. It's called Insecure, Fighting Our Lesser Fears with a Greater One. John, welcome. It's wonderful to have you here.
1: Janet, thank you so much for taking the time to have me on today. I appreciate it.
0: Well, I appreciate what you have to say. I have to note that in the beginning, where you said you're a master of insecurity, I don't think I've ever seen anybody begin a book that way before. But I guess that applies here. <laughs> Talk a little bit <laughs> yes, about that. That's right. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. No, I, I know. Just kind of speaking personally, anytime I'm reading, you know, if it's a book or a blog post, uh, something like that, I'll kind of I'll scan down to the bottom first and. You know, look at the bio of, uh, who, you know, who's writing the, the article just because I want to know, okay, what what sort of expertise does this person have, you know, in this topic that I'm about to read about? And so, you know, I began in somewhat of a, a joking way uh, saying, you know, I'm trying not to brag, but I am somewhat of an expert in insecurity. And so um letting people know, from the outset that I'm a fellow struggler in this. This is not a, a book written of someone who's on the other side of this, uh, but someone who's in you know, the trenches with everyone else and, and struggling with, uh, with insecurities.
0: Yeah. Now talk a little bit about what you see as insecurity. I think there are a lot of people who will have a working definition of what it is. I don't feel very good about myself. I'm sort of shy, this and that. But how, how would you define it and how does it manifest itself in your own life?
1: yeah sure um yeah in some ways uh, i spend you know the entire book trying to define it and get us to look at the characteristics of it but but I think a way to to kind of get it in a concise way is is really anything that gets us to take our focus off of our identity in Jesus Christ mm. um so anything that gets us to take our focus off of our identity in Jesus Christ, so we are told in scripture uh, that if we have repented of our sins and placed our faith in jesus christ that we are a, a child of, of god and that that is a secure identity that that ultimately nothing uh, can take away uh, but because we are broken and we're, we're sinful oftentimes uh, you know depending on the day of the week we'll wake up and we'll have our, our focus on on other things and 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 uh you know Forget our secure identity in Jesus Christ, so this could be you know our physical appearance, this could be you know our intellect uh this could be manifested in so many different ways but we're we definitely uh wake up uh you know with an identity uh disorder uh, each and every day, and so yeah, I think this is something that uh, oftentimes when we I think use the word insecure it can sound like some somewhat superficial. Yeah. You know, again, if we're thinking about our, our physical appearance, that can seem, you know, somewhat superficial. But when we ultimately think about, you know, this uh, these insecurities are, are getting us to, to take our eyes off of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's actually something more uh, significant than just, you know, these superficialities that sometimes we attach to it.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about that. So basically when you're saying you're not really resting in your identity in Christ, what you are doing is focusing on yourself, right? Would you Is that where the sinful part of insecurity comes in?
1: Absolutely. I mean, there are definitely uh, something that I share actually from, from someone else uh, named Mike Imlet. He talks about the fact that we are saints, we're sinners, and we're sufferers. Mm-hmm. And we're saints because God's grace has manifest, manifested in our life. He's given us gifts and, and talents and abilities and that can point others uh, to him. Uh, we're sinners because we know that the, the Adam and Eve's fall in the garden, their sin spread to us, and we're, we're also sufferers that other people sin against us. And so uh, without a doubt we have insecurities uh, because people sin against us. Uh, I share some of my story in the book, and I was definitely picked on in the, the teenage years, and oftentimes when you just uh, talk about the teenage years, everyone feels a little awkward and uncomfortable because those are <laughs> typically some some tough years for all of us. But yes. our insecurities can come about because people pick on us, but then there's an aspect to to the fact that we are sinners. And so our insecurities can be uh, manifested from just uh, sins in our own hearts and uh, like you said, get taking our eyes off of the finished work of Jesus Christ and, and being self-focused. Uh, because we hey. ultimately know where we're, we're broken and and sinful, and so we're not going to have a lot of security when we're focusing on self-
0: yeah, that's for sure. Well, I, And I think about years ago, I know uh, when people were talking a lot about self-esteem, for example, and you would meet sometimes somebody who would say, I have low self-esteem, I have low self-esteem, low self you know. And after a while, I would begin to ask the question, does the person who continually says, I have low self-esteem, actually exhibit high self-esteem by talking about himself all the time and saying, <laughs> I have low self-esteem. Oh, I feel so bad about myself. Let's talk about me some more. But could the same thing be true, in some cases at least, with the insecure, that by dwelling on it and by talking about it, I'm insecure, I don't like the way I look, I don't like the way I do this, that they're falling into that same trap of me, me, me. And that really is, is you know, where it all falls apart. If you're focused too much on yourself, you're not focused on the Lord.
1: Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, there would be a spectrum as we're talking about insecurity, that there might be some people on, on one end who seem just very you know shy, very intimidated, you know, in large groups of people, and then you know maybe the other end of the spectrum more of an extrovert kind of life of the party. Um, but at the same time, I think this is you know insecurities are something everyone struggles with, no matter what end of the spectrum uh, we fall on because, you know, aspect of, of sin. And I can't remember if it was Luther who said this first, but our sin turns us inward. It turns us in on our ourselves. And so there's always this self-focused aspect to our, our sin. And whether we're the confident kind of outgoing person or uh, the, the less confident, um, we're all struggling with insecurities in some way because there is there is somewhat of a a self-focused bent that all of us are wrestling with.
0: Yeah, you're right. Well, I know you've worked for a number of years in ministry. You work with youth. What have you observed just among the youth with whom you work on the issue of insecurity? I mean, you mentioned before the junior high years are horrible for all of us. We all feel very (laughs) awkward, braces, glasses, you know, (laughs) I can't do sports very well or whatever it happens to be. But when you are working with kids, what have you seen in terms of insecurity and what some of the most common forms of it tend to be?
1: Mm, yeah, so, so I was a youth pastor at a church uh, for over 12 years, and, um, you know, even doing work with uh, Reformed Youth Ministries, RYM. Um, we have summer conferences each summer where, you know, we have over 4,000 teenagers that are coming to these conferences, and so it's, even though I'm not you know currently at youth uh, ministry in a local church, still around teenagers a lot and kind of observing a lot, and I, I'd say so much. Um, and this might seem somewhat obvious that so much is connected to uh, just social media. Yeah. Um, that yeah. there's definitely, uh, you know, just uh, the influence and the popularity of, of smartphones. Um, as I've, you know, talked to students about this, that there's a sense in which uh, that social media has just kind of poured fuel on the fire of our insecurities. I, I definitely don't want to bash smartphones or even, you know, social media, that there are so many. Good. So much good we can get out of those things that even, you know, a smartphone is a, a great device uh, that can be used in in many great ways. But, um, but yeah, that the, uh, I would think that, you know, the identity is just such a big issue, and that's such a broad topic. Just to throw that out, but to, to see students that can, you know, struggle with you know posting a picture on Instagram and it not getting enough likes, or them not having enough followers. You know, they're Identity is ultimately being attached to that. That uh, they can see, okay, this person in their class. Whenever they post a picture, they get this many likes. But then theirs always gets a significant, uh, you know, amount less. Um, You know, I know people have talked about social media being um, a scoreboard for popularity. That you know, when I was growing up, social media was not around, and I was aware of some of those who were, excuse me, who were more popular. But now we have. Kind of proof yeah. of it online. And so yeah. I'd say, you know, there's so much that's just kind of attached to that that teenagers are struggling with.
0: Obviously, not just the teenagers are having a problem with this, it's also the adults, sure. <laughs> not just a kid problem. We're going to come back. Exactly. John Parrott with us. Insecure is the name of the book. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the health program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a health care sharing program from Liberty Health Share with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt, libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. When Julia ended a bad relationship, she found out she was pregnant. After the father told her to get an abortion, this mom was confused and didn't know what to do or who to talk to.
2: I just knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be
0: broken. Julia was referred to a pre-born center where she was counseled and supported with the strength that she needed to choose life.
2: I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. We're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. <laughs>
0: Preborn centers provide hope, love, free ultrasounds, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to moms like Julia. Preborn truly is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in helping love and support young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now 855 402 Baby. 855 402 2229. 855 402 2229. Or there's a Preborn banner to click at janetmefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today and now here's Janet. Welcome back to Janet Meffer today. Glad to have you along and glad to be talking with John Parrott. His book is called Insecure, Fighting Our Lesser Fears with a Greater One. And John, before the break, we were talking a little bit about your work in youth ministry and what you've seen with teenagers, the smartphones and the social media, especially that you can get on the smartphones or the laptops or what have you, can really fuel insecurity because a lot of it is about looks or it's about how many likes you got, how many followers you got. But I was saying as we were going into the break, adults are the same way so you know the question becomes why do we subject ourselves to that if we're feeling terrible after we look at social media because somebody else is getting more likes why are we so addicted to it and and do you ever advise kids just get off social media close your account read a book do something different where you won't feel so terrible every time you get onto your social media accounts
1: Mm, yeah no that's yeah, yeah, I do. Um, to answer that question, do I ever encourage students to to get off of social media? I, I definitely do. I know that there's, you know, FOMO, the fear of missing out. Uh, that mm-hmm. students can think that okay, if I'm not on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is, twenty four seven, I'm going to miss something. Um, but what's interesting is, I mean, there there have been, you know, studies that have shown this. There have been, you know, youth ministries that have experimented with this as well as schools. To encourage students to, you know, take a week uh, to get off of social media, and uh, it's interesting to see that actually they feel better when they when they do it. Uh, that you know, first they think this is going to be an impossibility, and I'm going to feel worse, but it ends up making them feel better. And so, uh, yeah, I definitely uh, encourage students to to get off of it. I mean, there's actually an append- appendices in the the book that just gets students to kind of reflect on how social media can often make them feel as they uh, just kind of go through a list of questions and um, uh, reflect on that a little bit. And so I think, you know, Christians definitely have a freedom to be on social media, to use social media. There can be many um, good things that can be experienced in it, but, you know, more and more research is coming out that oftentimes not just students, but also adults feel worse when they're on it, and so I think regular breaks are, are very helpful. And again, there's there's more research being shown that social media is designed to keep us addicted to it and to keep us on it, and so it can be hard to break away from that. But I think regular patterns of you know rest and getting off of it actually I uh, can you know, feed us with more joy and, and peace that we're actually looking for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this goes back to the central point that you're making, which is that our security should be in the Lord. And yet for a lot of people, they say, I agree with that statement, but I'm not really sure how to apply that in my life. I'm not sure how to get from a place of insecurity to feeling secure in Jesus Christ. How do you advise somebody to go from feeling insecure to feeling secure in the Lord? What, what steps do you need to take, generally speaking?
1: Mm, yeah, no, that, that's a, A great question, and in in many ways, there's a sense in which, yes, we can grow in our security and, and, you know, reflecting on God's Word, we know it's living and active, and it speaks to us, and it shapes and transforms us, and, you know, leaning on the Lord and and prayer. I I mean, there there can definitely be growth, and so I want to lead with the encouragement there, but then also, at the same time, knowing... There's a sense in which I think we're going to wrestle with us to some degree until we go home to be with the Lord that we are on this side of uh, the, uh of eternity and so we're we're going to have you know just various ways in which uh, our insecurities manifest themselves uh being you know in broken bodies in a in a broken world but I think some of it uh some of it kind of the starting point and really what i try to emphasize in the book, too, is just kind of thinking a little bit about, okay, what what are the sources of some of our insecurities, and, and trying to get down to the root of uh, some of those. Uh, I think, you know, a helpful passage for us to think about is Jeremiah seventeen nine. Uh, it says, the heart is deceitful above all else, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? <laughs> uh, that In some ways, that can sound like a really discouraging verse, but in many ways, I think it's a very encouraging verse. that The Lord puts that in... In Scripture, in, in a gracious way, to to get us to see that, you know, we're walking around with hearts that are constantly lying to us. And so, uh, a quote that I put in from uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, uh, he, he talks about how often we listen to ourselves, and that we need to stop listening to ourselves and start speaking to ourselves. And so, just getting you know, students, getting parents, getting, getting all of us to think about the fact that. We often are walking around each and every day listening to lies from our own hearts. The yeah. Bible is telling us that our heart is just feeding us with lies. And so starting to try to maybe even get someone to, you know, pull out a, a note card or something and just bullet point some of the lies that they're walking around with and then speak truth back into that. Um, and again, there, there's an appendices at the back of the book of just uh, trying to get people to, you know, just hear some truths that are that Scripture speaks to us, uh, to just jot those down, maybe, you know, put them on the dashboard of your car, or on the lock screen of your phone, and uh, just reflect on those throughout the day. Um, because again, uh, it's truth uh, from Scripture. We know that God's Word, as I said, is, is living and active. And so speaking that back into our our heart that's poisoned with sin, I think is very significant uh, to be you know, fighting against our insecurities.
0: Oh, for sure. That's great. Well, and when you talk about fear playing into the problem of anxiety in your book, this kind of goes along with the subtitle of your book, Fighting Our Lesser Fears with a Greater One. And, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about the fear of the Lord, but how do you put this in a context of somebody who's insecure, that the fear of the Lord can cure your lesser fears? Can you explain what that's about and how people should understand that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think oftentimes when we use the word fear, uh, it typically has negative connotations associated with that, and uh, you know that's understandable. I mean, fear, fear seems like something that uh, is something you know something we want to avoid, something we want to run away from. Uh, but um, and, and again, I think uh, this came from Ed Welch. Uh, he says that you know we we're, we're all created uh, to fear God, that as Adam and Eve were created in in the garden, Genesis 1 and 2, they were created to fear God, but our sin redirects our fear to to everything else. And so we need to see, you know, there's a sense in which the word fear, um, when we're talking about fear of the Lord, is hard to to sum up into one word, but when we think of the word awe, um, having an awe of who God is, being in awe of, you know, His amazing characteristics, uh, you know, we talk about God being an awesome God, I mean, coming from that. And so really getting us to see that fearing the Lord is ultimately taking our our thoughts, our minds off of everything in this world that can manifest, you know, sinful variations of fear and seeing, you know, this amazing, omnipotent God uh, that we should be in awe of. Yeah. And so just redirecting our fear um, uh, to to the one who's deserving of that fear. I mean, there's definitely plenty of places in scripture that talk about the fear of the lord the proverbs being one of those um and i kind of highlight proverbs chapter two verses one through five and it kind of lists some specific ways in which we can grow our fear of the lord um but yeah i think i think some of it begins with just realizing that fear isn't necessarily a negative thing yeah. um yeah that, that there are definitely some some positive uh aspects to that fear that we're Uh, To to pursue.
0: Yeah, we need to remember that. Do you think also part of the problem may be that we have a distorted view of what we should be? I mean, going back to the social media question, if you have a 13-year-old girl saying, that girl's thinner than I am and she's blonder and she has better earrings, better clothes, really what that's saying, and I know we're talking about a 13-year-old, but it really applies to anybody who's in that situation. You're saying, if I'm not X then I'm not okay. If I'm heavier than so-and-so, if I have hair that isn't as good as so-and-so's, if my clothes aren't ex- as expensive as so-and-so's, then there's something wrong with me. Isn't that essentially having the wrong view of who you are? You're, you're created in the image of God. That should be, shouldn't it, the first thing that we consider, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, no matter how much your clothes cost or what, you, what uh, you're wearing? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, So so regardless of, you know, if we're, a believer or an unbeliever that every human on the face of the earth has been created in the image of of this god and so there's something that's you know written on our hearts i mean we, we know we scripture tells us we have souls that will never die and so our souls are this eternal thing inside of us but it's it's clothed in this you know mortal body that is wasting away and so again our soul knows okay if we just puff ourselves up and, you know, have positive self-esteem and tell ourselves we're we're beautiful and, you know, whatever, just those sorts of mantras we can kind of repeat back to ourselves. Our soul knows better. Our soul mm-hmm. knows, no, we're mm-hmm. not completely whole. We are broken and there's something, you know, more powerful that we are in need of uh, to make us whole. And, you know, ultimately that's the the finished work of, of Jesus Christ. That Amen. He's the, the ultimate one that can, you know, that, that has accomplished salvation and uh, can make us fully whole. And so, yeah, I think, you know, if we try to, you know, if it's outside appearance, as we've kind of brought up several times, yep. um, we know I mean, a car wreck can take that away. I mean, to put it yeah, in very sober yeah. terms, and so yep, absolutely. all the security cannot lie in our physical appearance.
0: Such a good point. Well, you can pick it up. Insecure, fighting our lesser fears with a greater one. The book by John Parrott, who's been kind enough to join us today, and it was a delight to have you, John. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you having me
0: on. Oh, my pleasure. God bless you. Thanks for joining us on Janet Meffer. today. We appreciate your being with us, and we'll see you next time. This hour has been brought to you by Bible League International. Open the floodgates, Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD.